2: This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to Oral Delights, the Wednesday night fiction night on board the Starship Sofa. Hope everyone is okay. We have a cracking story tonight. So I hope you will join me in having a good listen to this story and please pass on your comments on the forums and tell everyone about the show. Tonight's writer is Jeff Vandermeer with a story called Shark God vs Octopus God. Jeff Vandermeer, born 1968, young pup, two years younger than my good self, American writer, editor and publisher and spent much of his childhood in the Fiji Islands where his actual parents worked as the, in the Peace Corps he has also been the recipient of two World Fantasy Awards, one for the novella The Transformation of Martin Lee," And in 2003, he shared the award for an anthology called Leviathan 3. This guy has got some, you know, he's been in there, finalists for some big awards as well. He's been up there for the Hugo Award, the Bram Stoker Award, and the Philip K. Dick Award. He's even made it onto the year's best list of Amazon.com. Now, descriptions of Vandermeer's work range from... You've got Dark Fantasy to Steampunk to actually Squid Punk, which is quite handy on this story. And, of course, classing them now as New Weird. He's also married to Anne Vandermeer, who is editor, fiction editor, for Weird Tales. His latest book is The Situation, which is out from PS Publishing, and it's available for free download over at wiredgeekdad.com. So I will put link's on there so you can actually go out and download that free book there and please pop over to Jeff Vandermeer's blog jeffvandermeer.com it's, it's one of them blogs where bloody things are addictive and you instead of doing work on your own you end up just <laughs> reading all Jeff's work so maybe a good thing maybe a bad thing but pop over there and show your support narration today is by Grant Stone Grant Stone is also a writer up and coming writer, and has had a story published in a publication called Shimmer, Hard Times at Bartley B. Crow, in the Pirate issue, and he's got one due out in Andromeda Spaceways. And Grant says what well, he's probably more famous for is most of his stories have been rejected by the best in the business. So you can't say fairer than that. So like I say please have a listen to this story, tell us what you think, leave comments on the forums. I will read some of them comments out in a future episode. So the Starship Sofa and her oral delights presents Shark God vs Octopus God by Jeff Vandermeer one.
0: The Shark God Cometh A long time ago. When Dakuwaka, the shark god, was young and not so wise, he made all who lived in or near the sea fear him. They feared him for his knives that posed his teeth. They feared him for his relentlessness. They feared him for his speed. They feared him because the bloodlust was buried so deep in him that he loved to fight. Dakuwaka could take many shapes, but he enjoyed the shape of shark the best in those early days. It fit him. It fit his aspirations. When Dakuwaka swallowed up a fish, he would give a big, bloody, toothy smile and say, One more. I'm still hungry. I'm the fucking shark god. Give me more. No matter how full Dakuwaka was, he still wanted at least one more fish. This made Dakuwaka dangerous. It also made him foolish. Sometimes, when Dakuwaka was bored, he would take human form. In human form he was a handsome, tall, dark-eyed youth with gleaming white teeth. Then he would visit an island and lure a young woman down to the edge of sand and tide. Returning to his shark form, he would devour her, the water tunnelling red against the white of the surf. Such pastimes reflected the most animal part of his shark nature, but the game he liked best of all was defeating other gods throughout the ocean. It seemed to be his calling. That's what I'm fucking good at, he liked to say, with a blood-stained leer, to his remora advisor Selku, as they loitered in some underwater cavern. 2. Selku, the remora adviser. Selku had perfected the art of the simpering suck his bloated grey-black body undulated with a wild pleasure whenever he was called upon to approve of Dakuwaka's tyranny. His mad gaze, performing endless circles of his surroundings, no matter how motionless he floated, reflected the strain of his abandonment of self. Selku longed to become the lord of the remoras. He longed to be brought tribute from the least and the mightiest among his species, the flakes and the flecks, the cartilage and the bone they'd gleaned from whatever species of shark they'd attached themselves to. Smelling of blood seemed to be no great thing to Selku, not if he could remain the shark god's remora. So he fed Daguaka the tale of his invincibility in a thousand words as golden as the light that shines through the reef at dawn, making of that heartless cutthroat community of eaters an illumined castle of beauty. Just one more, Selku often murmured to himself at night as he lay attached to the sleeping shark god's body, the light of deep ocean a blue-black flecked with the tiny pulses of miniature jellyfish. Just one more. Soon they would rule over all. 3. The Shark God's Invincible Army Dakuwaka had an army of ten thousand steel-grey sharks at his command. Hammerheads, great whites, blue, tiger, and more. Their eyes were cold black coral dots, their hunger as ceaseless as his, their fins sharp as their teeth. With them came their battle-hardened remoras, eager for morsels of stray flesh, starved for foreign parasites. Behind them came battalions of skates, rays, and lionfish, all ready to gobble up whatever remains the sharks and remoras left for them. This army did not know the value of mercy. When they swam into battle, the water turned the colour of storm from their passage. Hundreds of miles away, fish would pause in their travels because they could hear the even swish-swish of ten thousand dorsal fins, because they could hear the muttered underwater echo washing across their hearing in waves that was the shark army's mantra. Just one more, just one more, just one more, just one more. The sea in their wake turned red, with memories of living flesh. 4. The Relationship Between the Shark God and His Army Daku Waka led the shark army, of course, and he had an excellent record against the other gods. He had to. By the rules by which the gods are bound, Dakuwaka's shark army could not move in until Dakuwaka had first vanquished the god being attacked. If the attacked god defeated him, or he showed any other sign of weakness, Dakuwaka would find his shark army attacking him. Nothing would please the remoras, the lionfish, the skates more than to feast upon rich god flesh. For Dakuwaka may have been a god, but he was not invincible. He could be sorely wounded by mortal teeth. At the thought of this possibility, Daku Waka always laughed and told Selku, Those bastards can't take me. I'm Daku Waka, the shark god, the most ruthless killer in all the ocean. Yes, Selku would say, yes you are. Dakuwaka Waka was very young. He loved the thrill of dominion so much that he had never acquired any fear of defeat, of limitation. He had come fully formed from the sacred egg sack and had never known his father or his mother. This had made him think of himself as deathless and ageless. Daku Waka did not know that immortality could contain a kind of death within its endless span. Every morning he would swim out from his sumptuous coral palace to inspect his shark army, secure in the knowledge that they would always be loyal, because he would never be vulnerable. 5 the shark god's excellent record against the other gods, and why this was a bad thing. In a matter of just a few years, Daku Waka and his army had beaten the god of the dolphins, the god of the whales, the god of the moray eels, the god of the lobsters, the god of the lesser fish, and the god of the greater fish. Not only had he defeated these gods, he had eaten most of them, ransacked their seas, and taken from them the islands under their protection. Waka became more powerful with each victory. His gleaming grey legions grew in size as he grew in size. His name evoked fear from Easter Island to Viti Levu, from Papua New Guinea to Tonga. The people of the defeated islands could no longer fish in the seas for fear of Waka and his army of sharks. The animals in the sea cowered in their homes, hoping that Waka or his Remora messengers would not knock on their doors and say, We need more, just one more. The women of these islands no longer smiled at dark-eyed, muscular young men. They looked away. They boarded up their huts and homes when they heard, carried by the breeze from the sea, the breathy, thick whisper of Come down to the water, my beautiful ones. Come down here. Often now followed by, as the women grew more weary, the words Come the fuck down here now! Why won't they come out of their homes? Why won't they come down to the sea? Dakuwaka would moan to Selku. Why do they disobey me so? They're not like creatures of the sea, Selku would respond. They, my god-emperor, do not understand your glory. Well, you might be right about that, Dakuwaka would say. It is not an easy weight to bear, my glory. But the hell with it. I'll manage somehow. And so saying he would have another tuna fish brought to him for dinner. For a long time, it looked as if the god-emperor Dakuwaka would defeat all of the other gods and become god of the sea. 6. The Previous God of the Sea Now, it should be revealed that no god had been powerful enough to become the god of the sea for centuries. The last god of the sea had been the god of the turtles many centuries before. The god of the turtles was the size of a large island. In fact, he was an island. A slow-floating island, carried by the current, atop which birds had, over the years, dropped seeds and soil. Until now, from his back, there grew a great jungle of plants and trees. Animals roamed the surface of his covered shell like fleas upon an uncaring dog. The god of the turtles could have beaten Dakuwaka with his size and his implacable calm garnered from thousands of years of slow, deep thought. But he was very old, and for his own unknowable reason had abdicated his place as god of the sea in favour of finding the deepest, most remote oceans. And there he floated, lost in deep turtle thought, surrounded by the most ancient of waves, while creatures lived and died upon his shell. Some said he dreamed, that he had dreamed for centuries now, and that the god of the world had recruited him to dream the world through its next few thousand years of existence, so that the god of the world could take a brief vacation from that duty. As the god of the manta rays, who Daku Waka had always considered inedible, said from his prison deep beneath the sea, The god of the turtles dreams the dream of this world, and woe to him who goes against that dream. That's bullshit, Daku Waka had responded, wondering how they'd even gotten on the subject. Dreaming is bullshit. He had always hated the way that the King of the Manta Rays spoke. Dreaming the world. What a load of whale crap. Why? Dakuwaka thought to himself as he swam through the coral outcroppings of his crab-built palace. I never dream. I never have time to dream. I just swim endlessly forward and that's enough for me. Still, in building his empire, Dakuwaka had been very careful to avoid the turtle. 7. Kadavu Island and the Octopus God Soon, Daku Waka ruled all of the ocean, except for the turtle and one island, Kadavu Island, on the western fringes of his empire. Kadavu Island was large and bountiful. Its clear streams provided water for animals and people alike. Its forests provided shelter and food. Its hills and small mountains provided relief from heat in the hottest part of the year. Banana and breadfruit grew there. A barrier reef encircled most of the island, and within its embrace many lagoons offshore in which to fish. Not a single shark patrolled those lagoons. The god that protected the lagoon would not permit it. Kedavu Island's guardian was the octopus god. He had large, deep eyes that seemed to contain a vortex of shooting stars. He had eight tentacles that could act as hands or feet or tools, or rip a whale in half. If he wanted the day to end early, He would shoot his ink into the sky, and the sun and sky would disappear into newborn night. It was said that were he to release all of his ink, the world would be black for a thousand years. The Octopus God could not change shape, but he could change size, from the size of the smallest of fiddler crabs to the largest whale, or so large that four of his tentacles could reach around one side of the island while the other four reached around the other to meet in a menacing embrace. The octopus god had lived for thousands of years, and was said to be slightly mad. Sometimes the ocean would strobe with emerald, ruby, gold, blue, green phosphorescence late at night, and even Kadavu's many nocturnal fishes, from people, to eels, to crabs, to herons, would retire for the evening. They were certain the octopus god was having an episode. Others thought he was merely perfecting the details of an underwater light opera he had been working on for centuries. No one living at the time had ever spoken to the Octopus God, but they knew the Octopus God had been friends with the God of Turtles for many centuries. They knew that the Octopus God had consulted with the God of Turtles on many matters. Some believed that the Octopus God knew the secret of the turtles dreaming, that he was as smart as the God of Turtles. But not as smart as me, Dakuwaka said as he relaxed in his seaweed bath, being cleaned by a pair of exotic remoras. No. Not as smart as you, said Selku, lost in a daydream where even the two remoras cleaning Dakuwaka brought him tribute and let him mate with them. I'm close now to what I've wanted since I popped out of that stupid egg sack, Dakuwaka said. The turtle doesn't matter. All that matters is the octopus. Remove the octopus and I can be god of the sea, and then what soft, plump girl will be able to say no to me then? What defeated god will dare fuck with me then? No one. Salku said softly, No one. It is time. Just one more. His gills rippled with excitement. Behind him, Dakuwaka reflexively ate one of the remoras that was cleaning him and let out of a mighty god burp. Salku did not notice. 8. Dakuwaka Reviews His Troops The next morning, Dakuwaka, Salku at his side, consulted with his shark army underlings. They were lined up in the green-blue water outside of his palace while he floated in the entrance hole. Behind them, the army of sharks they commanded formed a circle that went round and round without end. "'What do you think?' roared Dakuwaka at his army. "'Do you think I will be the god of the sea? Or do you think the octopus god will kick my tail? Tell me the truth, or I'll need one more, just one more, right fucking now!' Daku Waka sometimes ate one or two of his lieutenants, just to make sure that the others didn't get any ideas about disobeying him. Nothing inspired fear in his army like seeing him shit out a fellow soldier and piss the unfortunate's blood through his skin. With one voice, the shark army shouted, You will be the god of the sea. You will be the god of the sea. No, no one, one can, can defeat you. you. The The Octopus octopus God God will become one one more, one more, one more. That's what I thought. Dakuwaka said, cleaning the space between his teeth with a piece of seaweed before, to his everlasting humiliation, Selku could do it for him. I thought you might say that. He admired his toothy smile. In a shiny piece of sailfish scale, Selku held up to him. I can't say I disagree. No, not at all. This will be a glorious day, God Emperor, Selku said. You will become king of the sea, and lo, the tales of centuries will revolve around your godhead. Dakuwaka frowned. He hated it when Selku sounded like the god of the manta rays, and not just because it sounded false, but because then he was reminded of what the manta ray had said about the god of the turtles. 9. The Battle for Kadavu Island So, brash, bloodthirsty Dakuwaka swam out to do battle with the old, crafty, insane Octopus God. Once he had defeated the Octopus God, his army of sharks would swim in and take over, leaving just enough tentacle bits for the skates.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Rays and lionfish to be happy. As always, Selku came with dakuwaka, and as always, Selku had drawn up the battle plan. The battle plan was always the same. Attack, 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 ceaselessly. Dakuwaka swam through a gap in the reef and entered the peaceful lagoons of Kadavu, the first shark to do so for thousands of years. The fish swam away, screaming watery screams. The people, the ones Dakuwaka did not surprise and eat, headed for shore, and once there, returned to the interior of the island. Dakuwaka searched the reef and lagoons for the octopus god. He swam and swam, bellowing. Come out, octopus god. Come out right now so I can eat you. Let's just get it over with. Be a shark about it. In response, from deep inside the darkest fissures and rifts in the reef, Daku Waka and Selku heard a deep, chuckling laughter. The sound echoed through the coral and the seaweed, making it impossible for Daku Waka to tell where it came from. In a way, the laughter seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere, changing direction and speed with greater swiftness than Daku Waka was used to. After all, He had long ago proven to be faster than any other sea creature, hadn't he? Maybe if you shout louder, God Emperor, Selku suggested from the place right above Dakuwaka's forehead where he grasped the shark god's skin with his sucker. Good idea, Dakuwaka snarled. Come out, he roared again, so loud that the birds of the island rose in flocks, unsettled. Come out and taste my teeth. He could smell the Octopus God, but the scent was everywhere. Several hundred feet beyond the reef, his army circled restlessly, a gleam of grey silver, a suggestion of white teeth on a white foam surf. Finally, as he began to tire, he heard the Octopus God say, I'm right over here, and saw the tip of a tentacle on the top of some coral. Teeth gnashing, octopus flesh in his grasp, he swam at the tentacle at top speed only for it to disappear into a crack in the coral. Dakuwaka was furious. Stop hiding! He shouted in a bubbly shout. Coward! Stop hiding! You are making it very difficult for me to get one more! By now, he was really out of breath. It had been a long time since his prey had successfully hidden from him. He found himself gasping, his fins moving slower. Again he saw a tip of tentacle. Again he raced toward it. Again it disappeared. God damn it, snarled Dakuwaka, and started swimming back and forth across the top of the reef again, fuming. This couldn't be looking too good to his countless minions. Again the tentacle. Again it disappeared into a hole. Dakuwaka screamed his displeasure. Fish for hundreds of miles swam for cover. Selku dared say nothing. "'King Octopus!' Dakuwaka roared. "'I'm going to eat you slowly when I find you. "'I am going to savour each tentacle and each little suction cup on each tentacle. "'There won't be any of you left, you coward!' "'Dakuwaka was winded now. "'All of the eating he had done over the years had left him a little out of shape. "'If he was honest with himself, he would have realised that in human form "'he had become a somewhat flabby island youth.' over the last year or two. Coward? He heard a sly voice say in his right ear, just as eight tentacles lashed into his sides and held him motionless. How about some other words, shark? How about some other words? The tentacles continued to hold him tight. I don't need any other words, arsehole, Dakuwaka said. I'm going to make you an eight-time amputee, and then I'm going to crush your head between my teeth and grind your beak down to dust. The octopus god laughed. Let me welcome you to Kadavu Island with a hug. I don't think you'll soon be free of me. And he was right. The battle raged all day and into the night, but the octopus god was right. Dakuwaka thrashed about. He spun, rolled, squirmed, pulled, pushed, opened his jaws and slammed them shut. But no matter what he did, he could not get free of the Octopus God's tentacles. In fact, he began to get a bit dizzy. Selku had gotten dizzy a long time before and was in danger of losing his grip on the God Emperor's skin. Even worse, the Octopus God had sometimes loosened just one tentacle long enough to grab snack of crab from the nearby reef. But even then, Daku Waka had not been able to get free. Worst of all, the Octopus God would not stop talking about the underwater light opera he was working on. Just one more, he said slowly. He was beginning to feel as if he was going to be sick. You can't get free of me, the Octopus God said in his sly, mad voice. I can hold you here until you drown, if you like. Fuck you. Dakuwaka said, but the octopus god was, again, right. Like most sharks, he couldn't stand still for long. He had to keep moving forward to bring water through his gills. If he didn't, he would drown. He wouldn't die, but he would drown, and keep drowning, and all during the process of drowning there would be no way he could get free of the octopus god, and it would hurt more than anything he had ever known. Dakuwaka thrashed again, shouting out to Salku. Do something! Do something, Selku! At which point, the octopus god ended Selku's ambitions by pulling him off of Dakuwaka and grinding him up with his beak. Selku's last thought had nothing to do with ambition, and everything to do with surprise. Dakuwaka thrashed and changed into a flabby youth holding his breath, but the octopus god held on. He changed into a ray. He changed into a giant lobster. He changed into a slippery eel. He changed into a whale, but still the octopus god held on. Not only that, the octopus god was squeezing the life out of him. The octopus god squeezed harder. Do you give up? Dakuwaka began to see black spots in front of his eyes. He was painfully aware of his waiting shark army. He knew, even without looking, that some of them would be trying to take a bite out of him later, even if he won. Around them, the water was now darker and colder, the sky above the water pressing down in blue-black. All around, the phosphorescent glow of the coral illuminated them, and the flitting stars of glowing fish too stupid to have hidden already. The Octopus God strobed red and green, blue and orange, content to battle Dakuwaka to the end of time. I can do this forever, he whispered in Dakuwaka's ear. I can do I can sing, if you like. I do not mind. It is interesting. It is something to do. Something gave inside of Dakuwaka. Something broke. He stopped struggling and went back to his shark shape. All the ferocity had left his eyes. He could have been a young sharklet just out of his unknown mother's egg sack again. He remembered how helpless he had felt, coming out of the sack squirming past its rough edges, for an instant held motionless by it. I give up, Dakuwaka wheezed. I give up. He hated saying it. He had never said, I give up, before in his life. He had always said just one more. Why should I let you go? Dakuwaka snarled, then fell silent. Well, the octopus god said, I'm waiting. "'What do you want?' "'If I let you go, this is what I want. "'You will release all of the gods you have not already devoured. "'You will leave this island alone and protect all creatures that live on land and in the waters here, from your sharks. "'You will never conspire to be god of the sea again.' "'Dakuwaka groaned. "'He could feel water entering his body through his mouth. "'It did not feel good. "'Yes, yes, yes.' Just let me go. You promise on your life? The god-octopus laughed. I'm not sure I believe you, but let me tell you this. I've been talking to the god of the turtles, and he says if you cause me any more trouble, he will come back and be god of the sea again. I promise, Dakuwaka said. He was turning blue now, and not a nice sea-blue either. More of a, my gills need water blue. Remember what I have said, Dakuwaka, the octopus said, and released Dakuwaka. Dakuwaka circled the octopus god four or five times, forcing water back through his gills. He sputtered and coughed. Then he said, It may not even matter, my promise, because when I go back to them, my shark army will try to tear me apart. Yes, the octopus god said. But you are the god of the sharks. I'm sure you will have no problem, and if you do, I will just defeat the next shark god. Dakuaka was tired and hungry, and suddenly he knew that one day he would die. He did not feel young any more. Goodbye, he said. I hope i never see you again. The god of the octopi just laughed a watery laugh. 10. What happened after? Dakuwaka did not die that day, although he received many scars. He did, as he said he would, and released the other gods. Since that day, no god has ever again challenged the god of Kadavu Island. The fish swim without fear. The people who live on the island can go out to fish and never worry. The octopus god still lives in the reef beyond the island, guarding his people, working on his opera of light. Dakuwaka no longer eats young women. For one thing, even in human form he's scarred, even on his face and no longer handsome. For another, he's lost the taste for them. Some days he does not eat at all, but simply rejoices at the feel of water pushing around his body. As he grows older and wanders through his kingdom, he finds that sometimes he is content with what he has. Sometimes he does take human shape now, but only to sit by a fire and talk or listen. Taku Waka will never rule Kadavu Island, but now that he is wiser, it does not matter much to him. An odd mood grips him now. His expression becomes serious. Someday, he thinks, walking along the beach at sunset, I will visit the god of turtles and learn what dream he dreams.
2: I just love that story. Yes, that was that just hit a kind of little sweet spot for me. So thank you, Jeff, for that story, letting Starship Sofa narrate it. It has been much appreciated. Thank you. And thank you to Grant for narrating. A fine job, sir, a fine job. Don't forget, copyright is Jeff Vandermeer, so don't go messing around with it, touching it, feeling it, trying to sell it. My show comes under the Creative Commons 3.0, share and share alike. Drop me an email if you would like to, starshipsofar at gmail.com, or check out the website where you'll find the forums, Starshipsofa.com. Just want to talk a few responses to the five stories I put up for the British Science Fiction Award 2007, just to give you a flavour of what's happening on on the forums. First one up from Matthew Sanborn-Smith, hello Matthew, Matt, nice, nice of you to drop in there sir. He says, I thought Terminal was very well written, though the story left me feeling lonely then sad. Lightning Out felt the hardest of the science fiction so far and it had a lot of cool ideas. I just had no idea that it was going anywhere. I kept wondering, is this the end? No, is that the end? The Gift of Joy was much better paced. The protagonist reminded me of Frank Herbert's Face Dancers from the Dune Universe. And Matt goes on, The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate is probably my favourite so far. I actually just read it last week. It's up for a uh, Nebula as well. He says, It's in the lead because it stirs my emotions more than any of the others. Amy Sturgis writes in and on the forums, I thoroughly enjoy listening to these stories this week. Great job for all the authors and narrators. They were all terrific. But for me, it comes down to Terminal and The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate, both of which were so beautifully crafted and, and elegantly written and both of which come full circle in a satisfying manner. How to choose. Next up is a listener called Roxy. My vote goes to Ted Chang's story. I simply could not stop listening. I found it very original compared to the others in terms of setting and plot, not to mention the person who narrated it did a wonderful job. My second favourite is probably Alistair Reynolds. Lightning out and terminal didn't do much for me, though. We have a great comment there by someone called Long Red. Hello, Long Red. And I've actually, it was a massive comment, so I kind of scaled it down a bit and picked and cherry-picked off, because I would be on here longer than one of the old shows from when me and Kieran did it. Long Red says, The gift of joy was a little too much like a Richard Morgan story for me. Maybe I've listened too much to the tough guy, a Sci-Fi, lately. Terminal was interesting, great ideas, the mix of discards and completely alien life forms reminded me of some of my favourite sci-fi stories. However, as it turned into a love's labour loss story, I found it too predictable. I was hoping for some amazing revelation about what the dirigibles were actually doing with the discards that increased our understanding of both human and gas bag nature. Lightning Out, a fun twist on a coming-of-age story... So many partials, lots of good ideas, toys here. The Sledge Maker's Daughter. I found this to be a great post apocalyptic tale. Catherine was easy to like and care about. I enjoyed the detailed unfolding of the harsh post winter environment in which the fable was set. Even though I really enjoyed the story, I wish that there was another device than the exposition by the widow to take us into the world of the winged man. And finally, Merchant and Alchemist Gate. Freaking fantastic. I love, this, I love the storytelling device here. Looking at the same life as an absolute in time with so many possible paths is absolutely intriguing. I enjoy getting lost in the intricacies of time travel stories. The best is that each story lesson takes us down an even deeper path. This is the ultimate morality play for the time traveller. What depth, layers upon layers, very clever. I also found the ideas conveyed to be topical and interesting, educational the setting in the Mid-East and the complete immersion into the culture and religion made the story that much more interesting. So that's just a little dip into what is happening on the forums with the them five stories. Please pop over, put some views on about this story by Jeff Vandermeer. We'll have some more tales by Jeff Vandermeer coming in the future as well, so please look out for them. Don't forget, it all comes free, this, to you. If you would like to donate, that would be fantastic. It would keep, keep me in the, uh, in the, in the black. And actually, it's not. We're in the red at the moment. We're a little bit overdrawn on the Starship Sofa account, but hey, don't worry about that. So it's just left for me to say, night from me. Warning, there is swearing to come. You have been warned. This is Tony C. Smith, The True Professional. Sledgehammer's daughter. I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic tale. I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic tale. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. <clears throat> I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic. I found this to be a great. I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Fuck's sake, man! I found this. a I found this. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, right. I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic tale. Yeah, yeah. Fuckers got it there. I'll do it again now. I found this to be a great post-apocalyptic tale. Catherine was. <laughs> man. How are you? You're <laughs> one of the worst fucking amateurs. Right. Right. The Sledgemaker's Daughter. I found this to be one of the great... The Sledgemaker's Daughter. I found this to be... I fucking do it now. pick up the kids
1: will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal can they win through with their integrity unscathed can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment